Hello, welcome to the Change for Change podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to create awareness of the crippling consequences of climate change. That's a lot of C's. With more affordable ways to combat it at home for those of you who may not have been able to do so otherwise due to financial barriers. In short, we are sharing how to be sustainable for cheap. And my name is Matthew. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you call yourself Matthew. I never call my, I, that was me being nervous for the podcast. Yeah, Matt is my normal, but Matthew works too. And I'm Simon. And I'm Sage. And we are coming from a ninth grade class at Leaf Charter School in Alsted, New Hampshire. This is a tuition-free public school whose vision's, vision is to create a community of learners inspired to create, collaborate, and contribute both in and out of school settings for their entire lives. Look us up online if you want to be a student here or learn more. Today, we will talk about some of the recent and upcoming news in the environmental world so that we can all stay up to date with where the climate and world are heading. We'll start off with some of the worst news and then move towards the good news. Let's jump right into it. So our first news portion is going to be about China's pledge. China currently accounts for around one third of the world's emissions. This is a huge amount for one country to have, but recently their president has pledged that their emissions will peak by 2030 and become carbon neutral by 2060. In other words, they're going to be producing more greenhouse gases for the next nine years, and then they're going to start lowering it until they have no carbon emissions by 2060. Part of that plan is to have 20% of their energy generated from non-fossil fuels by 2025, which is pretty awesome. And they have an easy way to do that since they are currently a world leader in wind energy and also the world's largest hydroelectric producers, which means electric produced by water, like from dams. So this country is pledging to make massive changes to be more environmentally friendly, which is awesome, but there's also a really big problem with the way they're doing it. They're currently producing about 60% of their energy from coal, which is a horrible polluter. Furthermore, many scientists say that we need to be carbon neutral by 2050 in order to avoid some of the worst impacts of climate change. The problem is that China's current plan is to become carbon neutral by 2060, or in other words, 10 years too late. So we have a group question for this topic, this, this news item, and this group question is, are governments taking climate change seriously? Um, I'll start us off by just saying I don't think so. Um, I, you know, just from this, this example right here, the, the Scientists are saying we need to be carbon neutral by 2050. And yes, they're doing, China's making huge work to be positive, but they're not going to be carbon neutral until 2060, 10 years too late. So I don't think that governments, almost across the world, I don't think governments are taking it seriously. Definitely. I think they're just doing what's convenient. And I know it would be more convenient not to change anything, but obviously they're going to get massive backlash. They're like, eh, good enough. We can just put in the least amount of effort possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our own government included, right? Like, it's, it's definitely not government's number one solution right now. Yeah. 
Let's see, a major contribution to global emissions is transportation, particularly diesel trucks carrying things long distances. But now there may be an alternative. Sage, will you take us away with our next news item? Sure. For decades, diesel trucks have been transporting goods across the country. Now electric trucks can compete with diesel trucks. About a year or two ago, Tesla revealed the Tesla Semi. It had amazing range, acceleration, and overall efficiency. It was often thought that the batteries would be too heavy, too expensive, and it would take too long for the massive batteries to charge on the road. But recently, some companies like Tesla have been looking, for, looking at the idea of making a truck charging station just as common to see a regular charging station. That makes us one step closer to replacing diesel trucks in this country with electric trucks. This would be revolutionary if it were to work out because big trucks in the U.S. emit over 456 million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. This is great, but again, we have to realize that only around 17% of our electricity generation in the U.S. comes from sustainable sources like solar, hydro, and wind power. The rest is generated through less sustainable sources like natural gas, oil, and coal. We need to have much more electricity coming from renewable energy before we see more benefits from electrical trucks and cars. Luckily, Biden is trying to have our electricity generation be fully carbon neutral by 2035. Our group question for this topic is, what are the standards for good enough when it comes to sustainability? There's really no answer to this. Yeah. Just listen to scientists. That's the closest you can get. Pretty much. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I like how you said that's the closest you can get, right? Like, listen to scientists, and that's the closest you can get because, um, you know, not even scientists have like a solution that is best for everyone. You know, there's definitely um, some solutions are better for some countries than others, um, some plans are better for some countries than others. Electric cars take batteries and batteries, like many other sustainable products, take metal. Where are we going to get all this metal? Simon, do you want to take us away? Yes, I can do that. <laughs> so this is about deep sea mining. The first discussion of deep sea mining was in the 1960s, but initial estimates were greatly exaggerated. Initial estimates for how much metal we could get this way were greatly exaggerated, I feel I should clarify. And metal was cheap enough to find that after $650 million spent by the U.S. in research and testing, most deep sea mining was abandoned by 1982. Recently, however, we've been running out of easily accessible precious metals. And one other thing we need is phosphorus, especially because it's used in a lot of fertilizers. We need the metals to make our electronics and batteries like solar panels, while the phosphorus we need in order to grow enough food to feed the world. Since August 2017, Japan started deep sea mining. The Solwara 1 project of Papua New Guinea was given permission to begin deep sea mining for gold and copper around the same time. And although it received backlash from environmentalists, it only collapsed in 2019 when the company funding it went out of business. And it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. In my research, I found it was like a chain of companies. And the original one, I think they invested in something that collapsed and they couldn't produce anything anymore. So they were basically just stalling yeah so they dissolved sustainability requires a lot of metal metal we presently don't have 
Some argue it's worth it to potentially disturb marine life in order to maintain the rate of production of sustainable products. In order to do this as sustainably as possible, there are some new technologies that allow for much less invasive collection of minerals. Instead of mining, remote-controlled vehicles travel and pick up easily accessible nodules. These more eco-friendly versions of deep-sea mining may be our best shot right now to get the metals we need to create our renewable energy machines. Current debate over this topic is heavy as people argue between profit and sustainability. And our group question is, should this be allowed? And if so, how far? I feel like it's, it's definitely important. Like in some form, it sounds like this, this kind of needs to happen right now um, in terms of, you know, getting phosphorus to make fertilizers so that we can grow food and um, getting metals so we can make our solar panels, you know, like to some degree that needs to happen. And it sounds like the, the remote control vehicles are a little bit more eco-friendly, but I don't know. It, we were talking earlier about, um, like before we started recording about how we need to start focusing on reusing and like figuring out what we already have instead of getting more. Do either of you want to touch on that topic a little bit? Um, I can, yeah. I feel like it's difficult when it comes to finding new ways of taking materials and turning them into reusable energy because we take so much of those resources that eventually we're just going to run out if we don't, you know, wisely figure out the how much we need compared to how much we will have for later on. And that can affect a lot of things if you think about it. Because depending on how much we save for future purposes, it could potentially ruin the plans we have to use those materials for what we're using them for. So really, it's a good plan. But at the same time, we have to be smarter about how we're utilizing those materials that we find and whether or not we're going to have enough for the future. It's difficult because I know we haven't known for the whole time we've been <clears throat> the whole time we've been doing this that we're going to run out. But you have to realize at some point that there's just not an infinite <clears throat> an infinite supply of metals, and you have to. I mean, they don't get made that fast. You have to consider where there's going to be more for other stuff. You can't just take and take and take and take. Mm. I mean, not only do we have the materials there, but we also have to think of, like, do we have enough people who can, like, take care of that, like, the mining portion of it, you know? Like, do we have the finances for it? Do we have enough people who can actually take those jobs and do what they need to do? And just numbers really is the big thing, I think. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're saying with that last bit, Sage? Um, just like, are you saying when we start getting down to low amounts of minerals left, we'll need more people to get those minerals? Or, or what, what are you saying? Um, I'm kind of saying like, from a career perspective, mm -hmm. um, like how many people are we going to need to actually make this project come alive? And how many people are we going to need to actually keep it going? rather than just using it and using it so much for that method to the point where it just dies down because we don't have enough people taking care of what needs to be taken care of, if that makes sense. 
And sorry, I'm I'm not quite following this last bit. So are you saying in terms of doing the eco-friendly deep mining? Yeah. Okay. Um, so like, is this more, you know, person intensive? Do we have enough people to actually do the eco-friendly version? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Okay. Yeah, so this is like a really complicated topic, it sounds like. like um, oh, definitely. So it sounds like our, our, our answer so far flies around the, the idea of, it's important to do, but it's also more important to also have a way to reuse what we already have, like to do both at the same time, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And to think about again, like, do we have the people to do both of those? Do we have the people to do the eco-friendly version? Do we have the, the people in jobs to do the recycling and all that? We need to focus on, on how to, we need to spend our resources to do it. Is that, is that, is that kind of a good summary, Sage? Yeah, definitely. Cool, okay. Then I understand, cool. <laughs> a major question raised by this is who owns the deep sea, but maybe we should be asking first who rightfully owns any of the land we currently live on. And so our next uh, news thing is actually uh, findings from a research or findings from a study that happened. Uh, so this new study shows that one way to protect lands and reduce deforestation or the cutting down of forests is to give the land back to the indigenous people who live there. So this will reduce deforestation. The term indigenous people refers to the original people who lived on a specific area of land. For example, Native Americans are the indigenous people of what we now call America. A quote from our source reveals that studies show that giving indigenous communities legal title to their land cut forests lost by a whopping 81% over the following year. Intriguingly, such recognition is even more effective than declaring a forest region to be a protected area, such as a national park. The article then goes on to cite how native knowledge has been used by ecological groups to increase reforestation efforts significantly. In Brazil, reforestation efforts focused on planting saplings of a single tree species. This was inefficient and expensive. Then indigenous, and I'm gonna say this wrong, it's spelled X-I-N-G-U, um, maybe it's Zingu. Uh, so the indigenous women of, this, uh, of these people shared their own method of planting trees, which involved using a mix of seeds. Their method was able to grow 10 times as many trees and at half of the cost. In Peru, indigenous people work to discover ways that they can make a living without destroying the forest such as growing uh, cacao, which is like cocoa, um, and coffee inside of the rainforest, instead of chopping down the forest for cropland, like many other areas do. Again, as our main study cites, giving land back to indigenous people can help protect lands and reduce deforestation. Now, our group question for this is going to be, what would it be like if we did that in the US, if we, if we gave land back to uh, the indigenous people of the U.S. Um, to the Native American tribes. I personally think that there is a lot of value. This is an incredibly complex question, but also it, it, it has a lot of value um, because there are a significant amount of Native people who have a different mindset about 
the importance of protecting land. You know, living with the land, protecting land is very high up in many native, uh, you know, ideologies and many, and if we give it back to them, like this research is showing, showing that it's more effective at protecting land to give this land back to indigenous people than it is to turn it into a national park. And so this is, this is an example of where there could be social justice, where, you know, we've stolen this land from these tribes and we could be giving that land back to them, which is a social justice thing, which is good, which is but it also can help protect the land, which is an environmental thing. So this is one area where I think there's a lot of potential good. Uh, but of course, it's really complicated because we're also taking, at that point, we're taking land from people who live on it now. Um, so it's a very, very complex question. What do you all think? I feel like if we were able to get in touch with the Indigenous people and they exploit, like, if they shared their knowledge with the world and explained like how they give back to the land, but at the same time also take from it, then I feel like we can learn something from that and go back to some more traditional ways rather than how we're doing things currently. Yeah, it's <laughs> especially because indigenous people lived on and tended to the land before colonizers I know people hate that word but it's the only correct word got here mm -hmm. so they know how to take care of it they just know the land better than we do definitely so it sounds like they're we're thinking there could be benefit to doing it again they, they've cared for the land um, in ways that as you said colonizers have not um <laughs> and they have like a different mindset about how to do it and they have they have knowledge about how to do it and it's just honestly we could we could listen we could learn from listening to native knowledge um, uh, and I, I think we were talking earlier about like in america and a lot of other places in the world uh simon you were talking about like the i'm going to put it in different words but like the idea of us focusing on profit over everything else can you talk a little bit about that um, oh yeah they do because that's the only way, I mean, everything relies on money. You want to do what makes the most money. Sustainability doesn't make money. If you want to keep making stuff, you can't care that eventually it's going to run out. You just have to keep taking. And sure, sustainability <clears throat> to a certain extent is profitable. Like people see that things are eco-friendly and they want to buy them or they want to support that company because it looks good. But actually doing sustainable work, like not making unnecessary things that doesn't make profit. So we have to do something about that before we can really address any of the problems. I feel like a lot of the climate change issues we have has a lot to do with the human race and how selfish we are with the earth and what it has given us because we just, we take so much and we don't really give a lot back. And that creates so many issues within that. And that, that dives me back into like this, the, the study that we were talking about and how it talked about how uh, so many people when they're, the quote was talking about how a lot of people will cut down the forest in order to create cropland. So we cut down the forest so we can grow crops. But then they were talking about in Peru, the indigenous people, 
you know, they, instead of cutting down the forest, they plant their plants like coffee and cacao, they plant that inside of the forest. So it's, it's not take, 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 it's, um, we're going to plant just more things inside of the forest and it can grow in there and be sustainable. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that just, what you had said made me think about that in terms of not just take, 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 but give. And in this way, they are giving in a way, you know, they're, they're contributing to the ecosystem um, by growing things in it. Um, instead of just taking everything from it. Yeah. And this is, I feel like this would be a really great topic for if we ever got to um, have, you know, a, a spokesperson from uh, a tribe uh, come in. I feel like that would be a really, really interesting interview to have just to like hear about, you know, their perspective and get it directly from the source instead of from, you know, online articles about them. Definitely. Um, so let's talk more about some news of things that have directly like are happening right now in the world. Sage, will you take us on for our next one? Sure. So in April, Britain had its greenest day so far in terms of modern day energy production. It now has 39% energy from wind, 21% energy from solar, and 16% energy from nuclear. That's 60% energy production coming from wind and solar. They are on a fast track to carbon neutral and eco-friendly energy production. They are not the only country making changes. France has made their own contribution in terms of transportation. They have just banned any air travel that could be made via train in 2.5 hours or less. They did this as one way to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. They say that a trip on a plane uses 77 times as much CO2 as the same trip would take on their trains. That's a big difference. Would you like to see similar changes here? And if so, which ones? Definitely. I would, I would really like to see, um, you know, 60%, 60% of energy production coming from wind and solar. That is fantastic. Um, you know, that goes back to our idea of the electric cars and electric trucks. Like if they're getting their energy from coal, from like, you know, the, the outlet getting energy from coal, then it's not really that sustainable. But if they're getting their energy from solar and wind, um, then all of a sudden it just creates everyone is more sustainable. Even if you aren't a person who believes in sustainability, you're still, you know, getting your energy from a sustainable sources. So it kind of like forces everyone to be more sustainable, which I think that's a great thing to happen. Yeah, and this, Matt, I don't know if you remember when you first came to OPOF that to like to talk about issues. And Sam was talking about how, why don't people just get solar panels? Why don't people just get electric cars? Because the upfront cost is so much and like the installation cost is so much mm -hmm. and you can't. But if energy was sustainable, then using energy would be good for the environment and anything electric that you did would be a good thing mm -hmm. so that's obvious that's a big step oh for sure and last but not least a plan that if implemented might mean huge progress for america as a whole you want to talk on that simon yes i do so this is about the thrive act the Thrive Act was introduced into Congress in April, and this bill is a massive deal. Taken from the Green New Deal Network, this quote explains why. Quote, 
we have a once in a generation chance for Congress to pass a transformational economic recovery package that puts over 15 million people to work in family sustaining union jobs across the economy, from clean energy to care work to manufacturing, to, put, to cut climate pollution in half by 2030 and advance gender, environmental, indigenous, economic and racial justice with particular attention to black and indigenous people. It's called the Thrive Act. This bill offers a blueprint for economic renewal backed by a movement of movements, including unions, racial justice, climate, and other grassroots groups. The Thrive Act was introduced in Congress in April 2021, end quote. As the quote says, this deal is not just to help cut emissions, it's also to help deal with the environmental justice, gender rights, racial justice, economic justice, and more. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, to think about with this, so what are our initial reactions? My reaction is, uh, heck yeah. <laughs> there, it, like it's, it's big really big uh, deal that they're trying to both make significant ecological like environmental change you know, be eco-friendly and also tying it to social justice um, saying that you know saving the planet and giving people rights those are tied and so i i really appreciate that they're tying those together and that it's, it's a big bill you know it's a lot of money a lot of change yeah a lot of people want to ignore that mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know, anytime there's a, a good new bill, it normally, well, I don't, I don't want to sound too cynical, but a lot of the time good bills sort of get stripped of the good parts, and they sort of get watered down before they're passed, and I understand why, but it, not everything should be a compromise, especially not this. I agree. Yeah. since we're lumping all of them together, like this is like a very progressive bill. This is like a very, very heavily progressive bill, right? Um, but that also introduces, you know, about half the country is probably gonna not want it um, because it's- Yeah, but also it's only progressive for America. Like it's centrist for everywhere else. Valid, valid, yeah, it is. I just feel like people think that this is like a really far left bill, but if you go to like Europe, most of the countries, this is centrist. Like this isn't far left. In the grand scheme of politics, this is a centrist bill. I like that. Yeah. That's what gets to me though, is that people act like the Democratic Party is like veering straight off into the left. Like, no, they're centrists. Everyone else is just like, America's just really far right in politics. I don't know. I just think it's important to note. No, no, that's that's definitely important to know. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, honestly? Just like about you were saying, like some of the other countries, like um, compared to here, talk more. Yeah, like here's the thing. In what's the technical name for the group of them? Like Norway, Denmark, Finland, that area. Particularly, know. Denmark has a lot of sustainable stuff, mm -hmm. and Europe in general is way more. I'm not claiming that Europe is farther left. I'm claiming that they have a more, I've seen that it's been taught. Okay, can I just, <laughs> I'm spinning my wheels in this sentence. Okay, in other places, they teach that US politics are shifted to the right mm -hmm. because they are, we, our political spectrum is, yeah. It's like a little bit left to far right. It's not the full thing. That is so, I, I literally never thought of it like that before. That is so interesting. And like, that's totally right too, right? You know, like 
all these countries have recognized that you know the environment is a big deal and like they're taking a lot of steps um uh for you know like lgbtqia rights and things like that and yet it's our country which is like we're aware of all these things and we're still not acting we're still fighting over the smallest wins um, yeah I had never thought of it in those terms before where like America truly is like uh, a right leaning and this is like a centralist bill this is something that like shouldn't have debate over it <laughs> yeah it's just the most basic it's the most basic science following bill I don't understand why it's such a controversial thing and like it's even in the name like right it's called the thrive act like, yeah. <laughs> like in a country especially in a country as like wealthy as ours you know like and everywhere you know people should have the right to thrive <laughs> that should be a basic right that shouldn't be like a uh you know a, a partisan thing honestly in, in which this is a partisan bill um it's just it's something that is so small and so basic that I feel a lot of us overcomplicate and put ourselves in a position where it's like okay well now we have to choose is this right or is this wrong it's like you shouldn't have to choose is it right or is it wrong it's a basic human right to be who you are and if you can't do that then what's the point yeah it's I don't want to get into the contradictions about this, but the being who you are thing is a. I feel like if it's us two talking about it, then we're going to go places <laughs> with that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> the sneaky agenda. <laughs> well, again, our next episode might be on intersectionality and talking about how, like, all these social justice things are specifically tied into. Um, I have a lot to say about that. Me too. Then I think having you two on the podcast will be very, very valuable. You know, like you'll be able to share, like it's valuable either way, but you'll be able to share your own personal, you know, beliefs and thoughts in ways that maybe not everyone has thought of it before. So I'm excited for our next episode. Uh, on that thought, is there anything else? So we did get a little bit off topic, but also a little bit on topic. Um, for the Thrive Act, right? So the idea of it is a giant bill that will do environmental, um, uh, like environmental justice. So it'll it'll be helping directly with reducing pollution and stuff, but it'll also be helping people who are affected by climate change um, by giving uh, extra, you know, community support for them. Um, and it'll also help with like LGBTQ and other other rights. Um, this is like a very very uh, hopeful bill that, as Simon said, is also kind of centralist in the grand scheme of the world, or at least for some places in the world. Uh, so hopefully we can, we can pass it and, and move forward with that. And we're going to move on to the conclusion now. So today we talked about environmental news, right? We talked about China pledging to go carbon neutral to the benefits of indigenous land ownership to the Thrive Act in the United States. It's hard to be sustainable as problems and solutions are often tied, and yet we are still seeing progress as we push for change. And something that I've found is that it's easy to, to kind of get down in the dumps and think uh, the progress isn't going fast enough or just to kind of give up if you don't actually take action to help move it forward. That is a well-known phenomenon and something that I've seen in my own life is 
taking action gives you more hope about the cause. And so we wanna give you something positive to do right now to make a difference based on what we just talked about. So before we leave, we challenge you to pause this recording, click on the link that we, that we provide in the episode description. It will allow you to send an email to Congress to support the Thrive Act. It'll provide an example letter if you don't wanna type your own, or if you wanna create your own personalized letter, you can do that too, it's up to you. It took me, honestly, about 60 seconds to send the example letter. So I highly recommend that you take a minute to do it right now by pausing and clicking on the link and sending the letter. We are excited to make our next episode soon. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to take a moment right now and subscribe to hear more. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, no. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>